On this episode of DC On Screen, the long-promised review of Green Lantern, the extended edition. And Ryan Reynolds, if you're listening, just know that when you return to us, I offer, as tribute, every piece of the chocolate-flavored Valentine's candy that came with the stuffed turtle my sister gave me for Easter. It's just sitting there, on the nightstand, next to my industrial lube detracting ants. Welcome to DC On Screen episode 603. This is the podcast where we talk about the DC Comics multiverse on film and television, give honest opinions on projects upcoming and past, and believe that every version of the property is valid, even if we don't want it to be. If it's been released, it is fair game. So beware of spoilers, and welcome to the show. I'm David C. Robertson, and this, the man who picked me up from a swamp when a dying crackhead gave me an onion ring, Jason Goss. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect you were about to be food poisoned. <laughs> Best beer batter I've ever tasted. Don't care what it was made of, it was delicious. Mm-hmm. I've been craving it ever since. Yeah. The missing ingredient's the crack. <laughs> Probably expired crack, if there could be such a thing. Surely there is. All prescription bottles have an expiration date on them. I would assume. That's yeah. hilariously and arbitrarily, I think, one year from whenever you got it. Mm-hmm. Seemingly, no matter what's in the bottle. Never actually paid attention to that. That's the way I remember it. It could be very wrong, like so many things, but that's the way I remember it. <sighs> Now, we are going to review Green Lantern today, the Ryan Reynolds movie. Uh, Why, you may ask, are we (laughs) reviewing a movie from 2011? Well, uh, rumors... July. Oh, there's plenty of news. We just... (laughs) We we need to hold off on that for a minute. we have time for this kind of thing. Um, It's not normal television season. Otherwise, good Lord. mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, importantly... There, there are a lot of rumors going on right now, and rumors that I believe from people I trust, mm-hmm. uh, strangely enough, that um, that Ryan Reynolds is going to be Green Lantern in Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, from no what time. I understand, no better time under- to take a look at the movie. From what I understand, this movie is not canon to the DCEU. It is not canon to Zack Snyder's universe. Uh, the only thing they're pulling over, as far as I know, is Ryan Reynolds. I do have one objection to that. What's that? I know. It's out of the gate. I know. (laughs) But watching the movie, I went back to look at the end of the CW Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm -hmm. And dear God, those set pieces are just almost identical. If not identical. Like, just at a glance, the Owens... Oh, that's like straight footage from this movie. I know. I'm just saying. It's somewhere. It's in the universe. I don't know. <laughs> it's in the multiverse. Yeah, it's in sure. the multiverse. Oh, everything is. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Not yes and no. They could have left it out. It could have just been, you know, forgotten completely. I don't know. So they, using another version of Ryan Reynolds is one thing, but to me, in, in my head now, it will still just be another version of Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. That's fine too. Yeah, that's fine. I uh, I don't have any uh, any issues with it. I you know I I feel like this movie took place. It's at least canon to. Uh, I believe it was Earth Twelve. It's, it's at least canon to uh, to the CW, and Ezra Miller is canon to the CW. So you know what? It's all there. Yeah, that's fine. But They're all um, a part of the Aerospectiverse. I'm just saying, Angela Bassett's um, Amanda Waller is not really Viola Davis's Amanda Waller. Uh, so on, so forth, etc. and etc. Um, that, that, I mean, honestly, that's a pretty good reason to separate them. However, if well, I had to enough, bet... We've got a couple of competing Wallers. Let's just call it a different thing. If I had to bet anybody was going to make it, anyone else from that Green Lantern movie was going to make it over into Zack stuff, I would guess Blake Lively. Oh, yeah. I mean... Or Tom. 
Tom? Mm -hmm. Taika? Yeah. Well, Taika's playing somebody in the Suicide Squad. Yeah, I I just don't... Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. I I didn't think it'd be like a thing he had to have time for. That guy's real busy these days, but... Not so busy that he can't be in the Suicide Squad. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But just talking characters who really worked, who I'd like to see. Yeah, I'd love to see Tom, too. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, my guess is... uh, I mean, you know, Ryan's married to Blake Lively, so... (laughs) It's an easy phone call. It's like, can you imagine how awkward that would be? Like, well, I'm going to work. I'm going to be uh, Green Lantern again. Sorry, you can't come, honey. You know, Carol? Oh. Mm. No. Uh, we do not. No. Sorry. No star sapphire for you. Mm-hmm. Well, we, Is there going to be a Carol? That, mm, I don't know. I mentioned it to Zach, and he said he was just going to put somebody in a wig and blow their brains out. <laughs> There's no room for that person in the universe. <laughs> that's a Just joke everyone old, don't call that's us, a we'll joke call you. Yeah. that's a joke everyone calm down it's okay now I'm kind of hoping now I am a little bit hoping there's like a picture on a wall and an RIP under her picture <laughs> don't hope that just killed off screen for no good reason <laughs> and it's I'm clearly be... Blake Lively yeah oh. <sighs> sorry I'll, I'll be like the the uh, Snyder enthusiast Whatever, boss. Thank you, boss. That's what they call them. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, it, it is a bit weird, but it's also a, a more common parlance than I was uh, really aware of. Like, it was brought to my attention the other day that people are calling each other, uh, or people they respect, uh, female persons they respect, like mom. Yeah, I've seen that, and I don't like that either. I don't like mom, dad, zaddy. King is uh, the one. Uh, king, kind of queen. When you, when you listed them, like, king is the one I've seen probably more than boss or... I, I, I'd only seen Zaddy in passing. I forgot about that until you mentioned it. But I've seen a lot of King. A lot of King. And that gets thrown around in general these days. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a fad for now. I know. Doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> it's it's fine. It'll make its way through the network and someone will come up with something else and we'll move on. Yeah. And I'll hate that too. Mm-hmm. I'd like to eat all of that shit into the ocean. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh but no, I'm excited. I'm very excited at the prospect of seeing Ryan Reynolds in a in a, in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Can't wait for Zack Snyder's Justice League to come. I'm I'm all on board, as we've said several times on the show now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm sorry, I just have to make fun of every fan base ever, just mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. But uh, before we get into the Green Lantern review, as a reminder, we are on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash DC on screen. Uh, One dollar a month gets you the regular episodes ad free. Five dollars a month gets you that and whatever else kind of weird shit we post, like Marvel reviews, Jason's pull list, uh, chasing squirrels, warm ups. Uh, we recently just posted a warm up to uh, our episode six hundred with Scott from DC Film Squadcast and Effie Op Hilders of Stealing the Remote and World's Finest True Believers Chris Balga. What? That's pretty extensive for a warm up. It was a pre- it was a very extensive uh, warm up. We talked about freaking Weezer. Not being the Beatles, we talked about what <laughs> nearly ended our show, and good lord, we talked a whole bunch. Like, yeah. there's like a whole list of just like bullet points uh, on that episode. Just like, here's all the random shit we talked about. It was a busy time. It yeah, normally fun. they're like eight, ten minutes, just literally a warm up. You know, before we get started. Mm-hmm. Before one of us, usually you realizes, oh, it's getting late. Mm-hmm. Sun's yeah. getting low, big fella. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to support the show without, uh, tossing in your shackles, leave us a five-star written review on Apple podcasts. That's a great way to show us that you love us and, uh, to get a little more attention to our show. Mm-hmm. We should talk about Green Lantern. Let's do it. What'd you like? What did I like? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And? And look, the f- I liked, I liked Blake Lively. Mm-hmm. I really did. 
I um I've seen the movie before, obviously. And uh This is my third time by my count. I think that's right for me as well. I actually saw it in theater. It was the first three D film I ever saw, and I it mm-hmm. deterred me from ever seeing a three D film again. Mm. It was I think also the last three D film I ever saw. Wow. I don't think it was. You don't think so? Did we see if it no we did we saw Avengers in three D, didn't we? No, we didn't. Did we not? I wanna say I could we, swear I had a three D printed that. I, I feel like there was some X Men movie we, me and you went to go see in 3D. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't remember or how maybe many X Men films I ever saw in the theater. I think I waited. We, we saw the Wolverine, but I don't remember if it was 3D or not. Mm, I don't think so. In my memory, and I'm sure it's wrong because it's my memory. I <laughs> <laughs> I kind of swore off like, okay, well, 3D's that's cute, but I don't think I really want to experience films that way. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't really enjoy it myself. Hmm. But um, yeah, man, I I enjoyed several things. I wanted more things. I wanted. I would have loved to have seen more of Amanda Waller. Well, sure. Um, I had more than my fair share of uh, God. I can't remember his name now. It's all of a sudden. Um, big headed dude. <laughs> Hector Hammond. Dude? Hector Hammond. Hector yeah. Hammond. Yes. Sarsgard. Yeah. I. Uh, I yeah, I could I have done with a little less somewhere, and and it said Sarsgard, and I was like, that cannot be related to Eric from True Blood. There's no way. No, no, he's no, Sarsgard. Very similar. Yeah, I, I had to look it up. It was mm-hmm. very, it was just very similar. I was like, I'm so, I'm sorry. That is not like I, I'm sure he's fine, but that is not like Eric's GQ like material. There's no way they're the same blood. I'm sorry. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw this movie, I spent like the first half of that movie thinking that Hector Hammond was French Stewart. <laughs> With a voiceover, I guess, because Fritz Stewart cannot unFrench Stewart his voice. I don't know what he can do, but I've never seen it done. I mean, I, every time I see him, it's and, and you know, granted, I see him cast as you know somebody who's meant to be French Stewart. I don't see, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've seen him cast against type. I guess. Yeah, I've I've never seen him I'd not be, be French Stewart. I yeah. I <laughs> I don't know if it's I feel like third third rock from the sun. He was just somehow more French Stewart. Oh yeah, that was condensed, distilled French Stewarty. <laughs> well, and the funny part is, like, it seems like he was the one that was doing his bit the hardest, and the rest of the, the like the rest of the cast of that show was doing a thing they do. Like, turns out uh, Gordon Levitt had a, a ton of range that was untapped at the time. Lithgow, we know, was amazing. He yes, was, but he, he was, was just, really just doing Lithgow. <laughs> yeah, but he was doing like comedy Lithgow, which is also a thing he can do that's really good. But when he does yeah. when he does dramatic Lithgow, he can fucking rock your socks. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah. what's her name? Sorry, I'm sure you'll remember J- her name. Jane Curtin. Alumni. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also killed it. But we know we know she's funny, but we've seen her. I've seen her on SNL, you know, growing up on Comedy Central reruns. Like, I know she has a range of ways she can be funny. Mm-hmm. She can be a, she can be a straight guy. She can be the wacky one, whatever. She can, she, she's talented. But, <laughs> but then there's French Stewart, just doing his French Stewartiest. Uh, it cracked me up looking back. Yep. I don't know what so, the other one does. The, the tall lady. I don't know. I've, I've never seen her anything since. Um, yeah, she was in Austin Powers. Hell yeah. I remember her. I don't remember her from anything else. Oh, okay. I was curious. I've sidetracked this enough. Go ahead. It's okay. I brought up Third <laughs> Bar from the Sun. It's my fault. I knew what I was doing. Um, you took that risk and you paid I for it. I did. It wasn't even we a risk. I just knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was like going, I wonder what will happen if I sit in this chair. Ah, I'm sitting. <laughs> well, I'm I'm down here now, and my legs aren't working as hard. Mm, this worked out pretty mm-hmm. much as planned. Mm-hmm. And my dick's asleep. Anyway, <laughs> God help me, it happens. <laughs> Especially if it's like a chair that's like tilted 
with like the front of it up a little bit. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was thinking. That'll do it. Every so, now and then you'll stand up and be like, I can't feel a part of me that I feel like I should be able to feel. Like, mm, this is weird. My it's like a my dick's asleep. Hmm. And anyway. usually it takes the taint with it. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, anyone who doesn't have these parts to to uh, relate to, but but hey, fun thing you know now. Well, it's infuriating because I've, it's happened to me before. It's happened to me, and I've asked other guys like, "So, am I crazy, or has this happened to you too?" And they're like, "What are you talking about?" So, like, you know, I don't know if it's because all of my friends are dicks, yeah, or you guys it, can kind of be like that. You know, I just I'm like, can you please let me know that I'm not like I don't have dick cancer or something? Can you just <laughs> tell me that like this ha- this is the thing that happens? Because I'm pretty sure it just happens when the chair is tilted a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, it's so anyway. it's a thing guys can do every now and then. Um, we'll, we'll like if it's a little bit weird, you you just kind of don't cop to it. I, I Which is stupid. It a slightly juvenile behavior. It is. It is woefully juvenile. But you know, it's a real thing. It's out there. <laughs> I will remain silent while you guide this back to the course. I don't know if I'm if I'm able to. <laughs> Man, I I like Tim Robbins. I always like Tim Robbins though. He's always good. Yeah. His death looked hokey as shit, but he was good. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I'll bring up one of my, like, immediate problems with the film. Mm hmm. Uh, if you can't do better explosions, don't fuck with them. Yep. <laughs> like, especially if it's going to be two main plot points in your movie. If you don't know how to make that happen, fucking do it another way. Yep. Like, that incineration scene looked terrible. Like, I wrote down, quote, hold on. Where'd I put it? Incineration scene looks awful. Those were the exact words I wrote on the, my yes. notes here. It actually all like it looked pretty good in in certain regards. Like, and I don't even think we mentioned it on the last episode, but there on the last uh, James Bond movie we watched, mm-hmm. they did a thing where they it was I think it was Diamonds Are Forever, where they had like, hey, here's a gun or guns shooting at a helicopter, and then the helicopter like freeze frames. There is a a manufactured lens flare over it, and then like a really bad explosion on top of that. Beautiful, classic, classic old Bond movie. Not even, not even, dude. Like, dude, the, they would the ones from in how the, well they were done, though. Like some of them, you you'd get the whole movie and think, wow, that was a triumph. And then other times, you'd be like, who the fuck made this? Was this? When did it get to B movie franchise? I mean, you've got like you've got bits where like in the in like from Russia with Love, where like he's like shooting at the helicopter and the guy like drops a grenade in the helicopter and that shit actually explodes. You're like, mm-hmm. holy crap, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you find out later like they were. He, they were diving at, at uh, Connery, and they accident—they almost accidentally did kill him. <laughs> they almost—they got a little too close. And then but, you go from that to like, what the hell is this? This is like <laughs> a guy shooting at a matte painting. Yeah. Well, tell me if I'm wrong. If I if I'm if I'm uh, I don't know if I'm remembering this wrong. But they used to do one of the ways you used to do uh, practical effects for explosions mm-hmm. was just make tiny ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those look when you look back at them, especially in I, I'm I'm remembering some moments from Bond films when I was in high school when I like went on a run of watching them that were just clearly like little miniatures exploding. Yeah, I think so. And those miniatures exploding, where you can tell that like. Like, I could imagine myself playing with the helicopter and being like, oh, no, you know, as, as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those moments look better than the explosions in this movie. Yeah. Because, the like, the CGI explosion has to be done correctly. Yeah. It just does. You can do that very poorly. And I think they did. And that's one of my least favorite kinds of uh, bad guy gets incinerated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, like, clearly a guy going, no, with his hands up in front of him. No, as you see, like, a bright light. Yeah. 
coming towards them, and that's what we got. That's what that's that's what we're doing. It might as well have like the Wilhelm scream behind it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For what we got. (laughs) And and I'm sitting there going, like, how do you make Tim Robbins a bad actor? Okay, all right, whatever. Moving on. Um, Well, you CGI his face, have him do a voiceover that he doesn't know what what will connect to, and you throw him in a fire. That's how you mm -hmm, do it. mm Mm-hmm. And now I sort of like I honestly do. I kind of want to make the the Zack Snyder version of this movie, where like I I just want to take as much of it as I can and and like <laughs> pull down the saturation, slow down the film, mm. <laughs> do some slow mo, yeah, <laughs> cut out like ninety percent of those flashbacks. Like, good God, the editing. The, okay, it's, oh. all right. Here, here's the first note on my page. I guess we've run out Overused of good things. Overused Martin. The, it's the first thing I wrote down, and it's the thing I remember from the film most, having only watched it the other two times, is the overuse of that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a fine plot point. I mean, he watches his dad die in a crash. He's a pilot later. Sure. Great. Good mm-hmm. moment. Good idea. Go with it. But they... I mean, first of all, the way he comes down is just kind of silly. Um, and then it's it, it's almost comical. Like, even the first time you see it, before, even while you're experiencing the pain of Hal running down and looking for his father, when the guy just kind of looks up from the cockpit like, hey, I'm good. Yeah. It's just it, silly looking. It is. And it, I feel bad about it. It's not a good moment. And yeah, I feel bad about it because it, the that kid should did a good be job. a scene. Yeah, you know, the kid did a great job. actually. Um, and good casting. It looks like a kid who could actually grow up to be Ron Real. But... It just the the first time you see the scene, it doesn't look great. And then I've, there was some real tone deafness. I feel like in the editing later, where they just kept using a scene that didn't look great. There was I, that I couldn't understand it. It's it got comical after a while. Well, I mean, I think technically they only used that one shot one more time. I thought it was at least twice. But it was. It may have been. I thought like, but they replay it not ten minutes later, man. Oh, in detail. Yeah. They they and- play it. As the flashback, he gets up in the plane, he relives the scene. Like, we didn't need the initial scene. Yeah, and it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't a, a, like a great representation of PTSD, which is what they're trying to get get to there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, not the worst, but it's really not a good one. Like, not, not a very nuanced interpretation of how to portray that. Let's put it that way. And so I just wasn't impressed with how they used it in the story, I guess. And I wasn't impressed with how they used it in that scene in particular, because it also doesn't make sense that the guy without fear at the beginning of the film has that moment about his dad. There is no later breakthrough about his father. I mean, there's a breakthrough about his father where his father has the line of like, it's my job not to be afraid. Mm -hmm. And they use that as a through line, but they don't really let him get over anything. Right. They, I mean... There's a couple of through lines with Hal's emotional journey in the film, and one of them is he's always been a fuck up and it's time to not do that anymore. And that's, you know, that one they actually do something with. But the other one is Hal's PTSD, which they present to you in the first 10 minutes and make a big deal of and then really never do anything with. He just magically gets fixed. It feels like there's two versions. It's like two movies smushed together. There's the I'm not supposed to have fear. I got to be like my dad thing, even to the point of we're going to have that flashback including the scenes where my dad tells me that he's not afraid. Yeah. Even though we just saw it a five, like five minutes ago. And then I've got to go and talk to my nephew and have the same effing conversation. <laughs> even though we've seen those flashbacks. <laughs> like, yeah. And then by the way, we never see that kid again. Like if it had been a situation of like the kid is like feels inferior because he was scared and his uncle wasn't. And then we can have Ryan be like, you know what? It's not a, it's not, you know, it's toxic 
masculinity or something to be like, there's no fear. No, I'm, of course I'm afraid. Or, you know, it's about overcoming fear and not, not being afraid, you know? Well, he so, has that, and, and he has that moment. And it's in the speech to the Owens at the end of the film, or toward the middle of the third act, I guess, or however you want to break this down. Mm -hmm. but, um, about an hour and a half in, I guess. So he has that moment where he talks about, uh, they even, he, he says, like, you're afraid. And the Owens call him out, like, how you dare call, you know, call us afraid or whatever. And he's like, yes, I will, because you are, and you're too afraid to admit you're afraid. Well, I mean, good moment. Great speech. He should have had that Great realization talking to his nephew. Yes, and then there's no moment in between. He's, gone he's, to talk to the Owens. Originally, he's afraid for for fear's sake. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the film, he, he's afraid of what he's uh, up against. And, you know, fine. But there is no moment where he gets over it. Mm -hmm. There is no progress there. He's just suddenly over it when he walks up and, and deals with the whole thing. When yeah, he's talking I, to the Owens, he's suddenly over it. Yeah, I feel like it's like, I am afraid... But I need to act like I'm not afraid. My dad, blah, blah, blah. And here's a little boy that's very much like me. And then all of a sudden, this why I was afraid of commitment. So I didn't follow through with Carol. Yeah. And it's all about me and Carol now. Yeah. And me not doing what I'm like. I mean, she's like, why don't you ever follow or anything or whatever? I'm like, he's a freaking test pilot. <laughs> that's pretty it's accomplished. A personality. Um, like, well, no, no not even that, but like the dude's got a good career. Like, I mean, well, it's not yes like he no. just, I mean, he's also a test pilot that it's a limited job field. We'll call it. <laughs> and you could get kicked out of it very quickly. It is, but he's not and flipping they do make murders. A point that he couldn't exactly go into the air force because apparently for reasons that I, I don't think the film ver made very clear, he is an air force material. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I, that's the one thing I'll give him is I, in my mind, test pilot is, there are not a lot of companies that have that job availability. And if you're kind of a problematic character, yeah, you're probably not getting that job. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that love to go do that. A lot of adrenaline junkies that would love to go, you know, play with new pilot or new uh, new product. I mean, I like the idea that there are like, you, you got there. Like, I like the See, there was so much that they didn't do, that they started to do, and then they didn't do. Like, the fact that both Hal and Hector are riding on their father's coattails. Mm -hmm. And neither one of them are thrilled about that. Mm -hmm. oh, that was abandoned. There. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Hector Hammond being in love with Carol Ferris. Like they only well, we touched, just just barely touched on the idea that Hector and Hal have a ton in common. Mm -hmm. And really, it's it's only there's only two moments that I can think of. One when they're standing together for like two second, two hot seconds at that party, mm -hmm. and they have a moment of actually standing side by side where it's like, yeah, you two, okay, yeah, that was it, that was it. Like that was the only moment where they seemed to be on the same page. And that was, I guess, after uh, how old do you think these guys are? Like, we'll, we'll cut what twenty eight, thirty. Yeah, we'll 30, say that twenty eight to thirty two ish, something like that. Why not? So we'll say that's after twenty years of them really knowing each other. Like they they knew each other as kids. You know, they were you know they were hanging in the same hangers literally um yeah like there's that moment of chumminess and it's so brief before it gets interrupted and then at the very end when hal's trying to talk hector down after hector's in you know full uh slumped over uh tele telepath telekinetic mode mm -hmm. um that there's just a moment where hector says like oh you've grown you, you finally changed you only took the end of the world that's the only sense of familiarity of those two characters like between those two characters yeah like i routinely forgot that they had anything to do with each other like there's no arch nemesis reasoning behind any of it there's no, no real reason that he should be angry with hal jordan except for the fact that hal jordan got to sleep with carol at some point yeah apparently they, were, they had an evening or something um but there's the other thing it, 
just to point out, just to give you a, a barometer for it, um, I don't remember. I mean, it's I, I literally saw it in theater, so it's been now you know, nine years since I've seen the theatrical cut, and I don't remember the difference. Um, somebody pointed out on Twitter that it was uh, an extended scene of his childhood that kind of gave mm-hmm. him a little more depth, and I actually don't remember which scene that was at this point because now I've seen the extended cut twice versus yep. the once. But Yeah, that sounds right. I do know this. Mm-hmm. When my wife was watching it with me, and Hector as a kid comes up and talks to Carol, my wife was like, so he's going to mean something, I guess. Uh-huh. And then later, as characters were being introduced, like, is that him? No, that's not him. Is that him? No, that's not him. Is that him? That's him. Because, like, for a second, you remember when Hal's uh, getting fired uh, briefly yeah. after the uh, thing? Yeah. The guy that tells him to watch his back. Uh, for a second, my wife was like, oh, that's got to be that kid. No, that's not that kid. Don't worry. <laughs> that guy's, that guy's going to be irrelevant. Don't worry about it. Yeah, which is disappointing because... I mean, you'll see him again, but it's not going to be for much. Yeah. I was like, who is that asshole? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 there is a fair amount of it I do like. Um, oh, my point was that they had played up Hector as a, Hector and his, they had played up those three kids as having a relationship that would matter more later, and they just underused they Hector's did. relationship to them. They did, they, they did, they, <sighs> this may be a good time to say that I, the film is enjoyable, but it sure does have its flaws. It absolutely does. It is enjoyable. I, I was, I was telling, uh, Scott from Squadcast the other day, I was like, you know, it's it's a good middle of the road 2004 movie. Like it is very much a 2004 uh, comic book movie. Yeah, apparently, but it is a mediocre. Yeah, it is a mediocre CBM for sure. It absolutely is. It's It's very very run of the mill. The what you see is not different from any other kind of hero's journey film that you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. No ground was broken here, and it's. Just sort of like, oh yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's Hal and Hector. There's, there's the, the good guy and who will become the bad guy because his dad mistreats him and also he can't be with the girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't even like flesh that out. But no, freaking... not really. I mean, as far as this film is concerned, he had a crush on her when he was like ten. Mm-hmm. And then twenty years later, he got to smell her once. Yeah, he's t- <laughs> he's still crushing so hard. <laughs> That he's willing to hold her hostage. And it's another weird point. Like, why just hold her hostage? Just change her. If you're so sure that you're going to be the same after you inject her with with some of uh, Parallax, just do it. Like, why wait for Hal? Yeah. And I I was confused with the whole, like, I loved Mark Strong as Sinestro. He was great. Yeah. I was confused with that plot point where he's like, okay, so we need to make a fear ring. Why? (laughs) To, To fight the fear. But why? Why would that be your immediate answer? <laughs> and why are we going along with of it? You, just send all of them for a second. Yeah, there will be some unprotected spec- sectors for a second. Approximately 35, 99 of them. Yeah. Get them all to one. Take care of the one problem you had that I guess Abinser was the only one who could possibly take care of. And then go back to your sectors and keep policing. Like, it, there were a lot of other things on the table that could have been, or that could have been on the table. Uh, like Kilowog, even though he was cool and stuff, and Michael Clark Duncan, awesome. Yeah. But like he, you know, not not generally known as the smartest. Green Lantern was just like, yeah. No, he's a bruiser. The bigger you are, the the faster and harder you fall into the gravity of the sun. Yeah. You're telling me that Hal is the only Lantern that could piece that together with Parallax, the giant thing in the sky, and be like, hey, you know what? Why don't we get him close to a sun? All right, I'm going to do two things here real quick. One, mm-hmm. I'm going to vaguely suggest 
that because he came in alone mm-hmm. and because he was so inexperienced and Parallax sent so much fear in him that Parallax got cocky and decided he would just go ahead and take care of this one lantern because he does have a hard on for taking care of lanterns. Yeah. After all, he was trapped by one. Mm-hmm. And if I remember from the movie, that was the, the same ring that trapped him with a previous owner. Yeah. Is that true? I think so. I can't remember in the movie if it was Sinestro or Avensur, but I think it was Avensur. It was Avensur, I believe. Yeah. So let's give it the benefit of the doubt that he wants to kill the current owner of that ring. That just just has, he's being petty, right? Mm-hmm. And that because he's alone, that's maybe the only reason he'd fall for that kind of trap. I mean, I like the fact that the, that, that end game is really a version of what he did earlier with the with the uh with the drones yeah yeah he's like oh you know what i'll take myself out but no i'm gonna show you what these things can do or can't do well and actually it had a good moment uh in in the in the film where like he's talking to carol and it's right before i mean it's clearly he's going on a suicide mission she knows he's gl now we're all we're past all that Mm -hmm. which by the way i i enjoyed the fact that she figured it out very quickly yeah, that, that was a, actually an ad lib on her part, on Blake Lively's part. Was it? She's like, dude, I've seen you naked. Of course, I'm, I'm going to know your freaking jawline. What are you talking about? That's solid. I love that. Um, and I partially want to say like, oh, you've seen me naked? But have you seen me in CGI? Anyway. <laughs> the I, I like the idea that he, he his trick is always like, okay, go higher, go faster, go farther. Whatever. wonder where I've heard that kind of thing before. But I don't know um, where. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> I think that was Captain Marvel that I just accidentally quoted. Oh, um, no, I, I saw that movie once. I don't remember that. <laughs> I, I botched it. And I wasn't meaning to. I just said the words and was like, I'm pretty sure that's a tagline that I've seen on Captain Marvel. Yeah, um, I, I thought you were referencing Kanye West. God, I hope not. I, I genuinely hope my mind doesn't ever know enough about Kanye West to reference him. <laughs> or that band where they wear the helmets. Oh, Daft Punk? Yes, Daft Punk. I can get behind that way faster. I mean, he just sampled them. Yeah, Kanye did. I know. Um... It's not their fault. <laughs> it's not It's not Queen and David Bowie's fault that they were sampled for Ice Ice Baby. What are you going to do? And as punishment the, for having no fault in it. No, they they took the check and they got writer's credit on that piece of shit. Anyway. Um, so, Actually, I think Ice Ice Baby, they, uh, they sued. They sued him. Yeah, no, they sued. And one of yeah. the things they got after the uh, lawsuit settled, uh, the settlement was they are now credited as writers on that song, which I would have, I, I, I'm confused by because I would have been like, no, 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 Please don't do that. Um, just give me the money. I don't want, I don't want to have my name on it. No, I don't work like that. I know. <laughs> like, oh, so now you don't want credit. Mm, okay. I know. It's crazy. Um, but I, I like that trick, but it had, it had a good moment though, where, uh, when, when he's about to go basically kill himself, um, what does she tell him? Uh, something about like, it, it's impossible, you know, some kind of like, it's impossible moment. And he's like, well, you know, it's impossible to win that dogfight or whatever. And she's like, they were, uh, what did, what did she say? Like, uh, they were just jets. He was like, unbeatable jets. <laughs> I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. It felt very how, like Hal as played by Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Like a little bit of gallows humor, just knowing what he was up against. I enjoyed that moment. Yeah, I, a long I, way to get to enjoying a moment. But yeah, I got there. <laughs> Circuitous at best. <laughs> we made it back, team. I think this might be the only podcast where you can hear like 10 minutes of me telling a my dick fell asleep joke and then hear a word like circuitous. <laughs> Circuitous and taint. We're in the same. What are we at? I'm recording at 40 minutes and 28. Uh-huh. Yep. Same 40 minutes. <laughs> <coughs> it's our brand baby apparently 
We are very niche or niche, <laughs> if you will. Oh, that that's an argument if you're talking to biologists. What? That's a whole argument. <laughs> I swear I've watched biologists argue, like get heated over that topic. Whether it's niche or niche? Yes. I know. I know. I know. Oh, and then okay. there, there's a whole subtopic about like something having a biological niche or niche or niche, however you wanted to pronounce it. Uh-huh. And then whether using the slang niche or niche or niche or whatever. It's normally called niche, right? That's how you know, most people say the word. Niche. I, I always hear I niche. always hear niche mostly, but anyway, I've heard people with degrees argue about this and it was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I just fell into a whole online of seeing people argue about whether or not Lord of the Rings is a freaking trilogy or not. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> This was in person. I actually watched this, and it was it was really funny. But anyway. and the whole time, the whole time, I kept wanting to say, like, you guys, you realize this is a very niche argument. <laughs> they would not have liked that. But you should have said that. It, just, it wouldn't have helped the situation. They they were, they needed to calm down. It would not have helped. <laughs> I mean, I've seen people argue over whether it's forte or fort. I'm just like, I don't care. Oh God. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I have opinions, but fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know that i have a lot more to say about this movie i feel like it's just very discombobulated i feel like they couldn't figure out and you know ryan reynolds has said this they couldn't figure out what they wanted to do it was more about the release date it was more about toys it was more about everything but telling a coherent damn story uh at times the cgi is beautiful at times it is atrocious um most I, of the time that it's hugging anyone's neck it's atrocious yes those the neck and the face are, are rough yeah and i will never understand the feeling that they had where they were like oh to make this work we need to do cgi suit i'm like what are you talking about like we don't want to just do another rubber superhero suit why the, the, the one thing i'll give them is in theory like i could see the idea being battered around all right, look, in theory, it's a construct, right? Mm-hmm. The suit itself is a construct. Why wouldn't it be the same color as, you know, the constructs? I could see the conversation happening. I get it. Like, in theory, I would I would want to explore the idea myself if I were sitting around that table. I really mm-hmm. would. Just just to, you know, bat it around, see what happens. But I asked my wife this as we were watching it last night. The first time he shows up in the suit, like in his, in his apartment, you know, with the full, the the kind of classic GL pose, which to me is hilarious. Like most people have this akimbo thing going on. He's just like, Rah! and um, arms outstretched like Da Vinci's uh, whatever kind of man. Um, uh-huh. oh, a something man, whatever. That's going to bother me all night. Anyway, uh, for trivia, there we go. Um, the first time I saw him in that, I paused it and said, let me ask you a question. You see all that suit? She said, uh-huh. Like, Does that look bad? Mm-hmm. Okay. Question. Would you rather have seen a practical suit with some glittery green side effects? And she said, absolutely. <laughs> and I asked, I was like, and, and I'm, I'm not just being crazy here. I don't think this is post the Blade movies where Ryan got swole. This is, that's his body type now. That's, he, he went into a different range. He could carry a damn suit. The man could wear a suit. Just yeah. put some sparkly stuff on it in post. You don't have to. I mean, yeah, you could just augment it with CGI. It doesn't have to be CGI. No, and also he doesn't have to be that swole. Like, it's not, like, Green Lantern being, Green Lantern's not necessarily supposed to look like even Wolverine. Like, even Wolverine is supposed to be some, like, animal of a man. You know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. He, he's supposed to look like, 
I don't care if this guy's claws or not. He should not be fucked with. Like, if you saw Wolverine prancing through the Sahara Desert in search of of a beast, and he tackled it in open field because he overcame it with speed and uh-huh. ripped into its jugular with his fucking teeth, you'd be like, well, that makes sense. That man's built for that shit. Uh-huh. If you saw Green Lantern trying that, what you would see is a man racing through the desert as fast as he could before the animal races through the horizon without any thought of him, and he collapses from dehydration. Mm-hmm. Different body type entirely. Right. Just saying. I, yeah, I, I gotcha. But uh, I I liked the notion of uh, the construct sort of like being... It's like they did a thing where they were like, the construct suit was like melded to his mus- like musculature. Like, yeah, they did that early on. Instead, Even with Adam they did that. Well, yeah. Uh, I like that. I like that idea with like the green glowing through the the muscles. Would look better if it was a practical but suit. The the striations looked looked good. I, that was a good call, but not actually giving him a suit. Bad call. Like mm-hmm. you can make the fists, the eyes, hell, the feet glow. He can fly. Why why not make his feet glow? I'm not trying to pitch anything here. I'm just saying like make some stuff glow. Great, especially the Green Lantern symbol. That part would be mm-hmm. pretty requisite to me personally. Yeah, some CGI in post for sure, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. but base it on a suit. Yeah. And my other point was, you don't even need a body double. You don't need to like bring in a uh, what was what's his name that did the uh, thing for Affleck. Oh, Citrone. Citrone. I was thinking Cerrone, but that was the guy from uh, Constantine. Right. right. So Citrone. Um, yeah, you don't you don't need to do that. Just let Ryan Reynolds do the damn thing. Put him in a suit. Mm-hmm. And if I recall, Mark Strong around the time, put him in a suit. Yeah. And honestly, the rest of uh, Oa was CGI anyway. That's fine. You don't have to dress everybody in a suit. Yeah. I agree. Looking back with Reynolds, the CGI suits were a, a giant fuck up. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Glad I got that on my chest. So. <laughs> so Tom was good. I have that. I have that going. Tom was good. You know, they, he said, you know, uh, Taika Waititi said that he got that role because he, they just needed a non-white, non-black person. Cool. Yeah. He needed a POC and he was very workable. So we're good. Got well, it. you re- do you remember the character from the comics, the old comics? Mm-mm, not at all. He was an Asian character. My old, old GL is very, very scant. Yeah. He was an Asian character who Hal affectionately referred to as Pie Face. Mm. Pie for short. Mm. Mm. That... Ooh, that hurts. Who would like, by the way, openly weep when Green Lantern would like put himself in danger and stuff because he was worried. Like, <laughs> oh, it's real bad, man. Real bad. Well, look, let's go back through the history. Like, do you remember Green Hornet, Green Lantern? Which one came first? I think I think GL. I mean, GL's eighty years uh, old Green. as of a few months ago. Yeah, but Green Green Hornet. Did that take off more? I mean, Green Hornet was like old radio serials and stuff in the 40s. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, at that point, Green Lantern, we're talking about Alan Scott, Green Lantern. Yeah, it's a very different thing. Magic based and his ring didn't work on wood of all things. Or yellow. No, yellow came after. Yellow came with Hal. Yeah, yellow was Hal. The original Green Lantern. I remember not working on wood. Yeah, his ring didn't work on wood. Which was funny. Like I, there's a, uh, 
Green Lantern series on the uh, called Sleepers on the graphic audio books. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I deeply suggest anyone check out, they're a little bit expensive, but they're, they're actually really good. And since they're going to get into podcasts and audiobooks again, hey, if you want to, if you want, if you were excited about that and want something in the meantime, I'd highly suggest it. Uh, it's like a three part series and they kind of cover a different lantern every time. Mm-hmm. And in the first one, they covered Alan Scott. And there's literally a scene where he's like trapped in a bank because the mechanism is wood. Uh huh. <laughs> he just can't do anything about that shit. It's over. He's like trapped in a bank vault with the robber he came to stop. Because, <clears throat> oh well. Like, I hope the grip of that gun isn't made of wood. Yeah. I mean, presumably the bullet wouldn't be, but. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Whatever. Anyway. Um, I had a small list of. That's not even a small list. So the movie. I know. I know. We spent some time shitting on it, but I mean, there, yeah. there's some. There's it's some not really as bad points. as everyone acts like it is, though. No, it's not a complete abomination. It's not 28 um, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Bad. Oh, it was 26, I think, or whatever it is. It's not that bad. I just glanced at it before we started, but I, I, I it's not that bad. Uh, I think it was 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb, which actually feels more right, frankly. Yeah, it's it's closer to that. I think. Yeah. Um, some really good speeches though, like Sinestro talking about fear while they're training. Great. Kilowog training, uh, how fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that honestly, I could have watched a movie of just how going through boot camp and it would have been pretty happy. Yeah. God, I miss, I wanted more, I wanted more Kilowog. I wanted more boot camp. I wanted more Sinestro. I wanted more Tomar Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 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 all of that. Like, like it would have been nice if they had shown up in the last act. Well, they, they did a pretty good job with Owen in general when we're looking back. They, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they really dropped the ball too hard on Noah. And it does. It looks spectacular. Yeah, it does. Um, and especially like Sinestro growing him as a character before he is the Sinestro we've all come to know and hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good job with him. Um, and probably my favorite moment in the movie is when he's talking about we need to to build this ring out of fear to, you know, it has it has to do with like. Uh, Parallax being a being of fear and they need a more powerful weapon than he has. And I get that they're trying to build in the idea that Sinestro will opt to having a more powerful weapon mm-hmm. as a, uh, you know, that's, a, that's his, you know, that's his safe spot. Like, Hey man, up, upgrade our, uh, our weaponry. Cool. Um, I get that that's where they're going. And it also, it gives you like a vague idea where the stinger is going to get you. But it's also another problem with the movies. Like the stinger is just super separated from anything. Like you, you get to see him turn into, you know, uh, fear Sinestro, but why, how, over what? Yeah. They were buddies like uh, three minutes ago on screen time. <laughs> and they, like they Got were it. flying off into the universe in search of their next adventure a few, uh, literally a few minutes ago. And then uh, uh, a couple minutes of bad scoring later, they're... <laughs> <laughs> I, the score for this film did not delight me. Let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're suddenly, I don't know. He's suddenly a yellow lantern. I don't, I didn't get that part. Yeah. They didn't make it make sense. They didn't Sinestro build that core. Into Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, we saw that he was willing to succumb to fear and that he felt like that it was a, I don't know, a worthy power source. But yeah, there wasn't a whole lot there. They, they like hint, they tip their hat to the idea mm-hmm. that he would want that kind of power. But that's really it. After that, it's over. I, I don't know. I couldn't get my head around that as, uh, nah, it just, it didn't make sense. But mm-hmm. his training speeches about fear itself and later when him and Hal have that moment where he's uh, he's finally like, just let me go save my planet, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, like the speeches in this version of the movie are really kind of the saving grace for me. Yeah, in a lot of ways they are. Yeah, I agree. 
because Ryan Reynolds was always Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And Mark Strong is fucking Mark Strong. Be strong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Blake Lively is good at what she does. Yeah. Well, uh, so there were really good character moments. Let's put it that way. Really good character building moments, but they didn't always have a through line that made sense. Yeah, I agree. So Ryan Reynolds and the director, Martin Campbell, apparently clashed repeatedly. Sounds uh, right. Campbell said that, and, and has stated repeatedly in interviews, that his first and only choice for Green Lantern was Bradley Cooper. No. Like, he's just like made no, no bones about it. Like, mm, nope, I didn't want Ryan Reynolds. No, sir. The studio... Uh, didn't want to make Ryan, sorry, didn't want to make Bradley Cooper an offer. Mm. They cast Ryan Reynolds behind Martin Campbell's back. So apparently this was a totally uncomfortable experience on set for Reynolds. Campbell constantly critiqued Reynolds' performance, made him do several takes, always had him doing take, different takes. Um, <laughs> Reynolds even said that when the movie flopped, it was a huge relief because it was such a bad experience, he dreaded doing it again. Well, he has made no mistake of how much he hates this movie. Um, nothing. No, nothing one, hidden about that. One piece of trivia I found is an insider said, one thing I feel needs mentioning. This is not Martin Campbell's cut of the film, but the studios. I live in New Orleans where it was shot. I read the shooting script, all of which was painstakingly filmed with intense research, and all of that was left on the cutting room floor. A sort of combination of what happened to Daredevil and Watchmen, respectively. Character development sacrificed for CG. Scenes made irrelevant by removing their setup. The movie in the theater starts with an explanation of mythos that is made redundant by the more natural scripted questions from Hal when he gets the ring. Ten minutes of childhood Hal, Carol, and Hector that sets up Hal's first ring construct is reduced to an awkwardly placed flashback in the middle of another scene. The training with the ring is almost completely excised except for one minor scene. Most appallingly, the ending completely deletes the fact that Kilowog, Sinestro, and Tarmare arrive at the end and help Hal defeat Parallax. Not mm -hmm. to mention Parallax was supposed to be a third act reveal after we spend the film worried about Hammond going evil, not the main villain for the entire film. How much of that, like you read a script. And I don't know how many scripts they, they churned out okay, for this thing. I'm going to preface this by saying, hold on, let me go back here and grab it. <clears throat> uh, June 9th, 2008 was the first draft printed on the title page of this thing. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember who sent it. And uh, please tell me and we'll credit you uh, if, if you're listening. Just please, please let us know. Um, I just, I couldn't find you anywhere in the emails for my personal account for DC on screen. I just could not find whoever sent me this script, but, uh, offhand some, some, somewhere in the past, like I feel like a year, year and a half ago, almost somewhere in that area. We mentioned, Hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to read the actual little anti script and somebody sent it to us, mm -hmm. but best I can tell. And having done a little bit of poking around on the internet, I think this is actually the Berlanti script. So when I say Berlanti, it's Berlanti, uh, Greg Berlanti, uh, whom you know from every fucking thing. Michael mm -hmm. Green and Mark Guggenheim from also everything. I don't actually know that much about Michael Green, but I feel like I should look him up now. Yeah. Um, I don't either. He's, he's credited as second on this script. <sighs> so having said that, uh, go, into, go into question mode. Uh, of what you just read off, what part do you want to know if it was in the original script? All of it. Okay, go to, sep go, go to separate parts. Because <laughs> I cannot remember the 12 points you just mentioned offhand. Okay. Pick a point and ask me. Let's see. Well, we know that we know about that. Um, were there 10 minutes of childhood Hal, Carol, and Hector that sets up Hal's first ring construct? Mm -hmm. A little bit. It's done differently. There's definitely 10 minutes of uh, Hal. 
And the major difference of the 10 minutes of Hal up front is that his dad didn't just like die. Like the plane made it off the ground for sure. The plane was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the plane is is going great. The plane has a problem. The plane is about to barrel into the, the bleachers and kill a bunch of people. Right. And his dad says, like, I can get this down. I can land it. I can I can <clears> land her. <throat> and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the big scene that they keep hitting back to and the specific idea that they hit back to later is um, I think it's Carol actually makes it all the way down. Like they have a scene where um, young Hal is barreling down the stairs like three or four steps at a time. I mean, he's just he's just falling down the stairs trying to get down the, the tower to get to the landing field. And, um, you know, Carol's following. But. One of the problems they have is he's still in the air. Like it's not it's not as simple as he's just on the on the runway and his dad makes it out and does the goofy pose and blows up. He's mm-hmm. in the air and he keeps saying like, "No, I can I can do this." I'm you know what's my uh, I forget the term they use, but like what's my uh, whatever thing is they need when they're going to parachute out and before they pull the parachute out of the blowback of the jet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you need to be far enough away from the jet that you don't blow your parachute and get incinerated by the jet. Right. Um, so they they do that and everything. He's doing his whole thing and he, he, he starts to pull it. And at that time, that's when the thing blows up. And the line in the script originally is Hal just saying, like, where's his parachute? Where's his parachute? And I'm pretty sure I may just be imagining it. Um, I'm pretty sure Carol gets down there to, like, kind of be right there with him when he's saying, like, where's the, where's the parachute? Like, it's a it's a life defining moment. And it's young Hal and young Carol there. But it's it's definitely and it's Hector was there and. Uh, his dad at the time kind of asks him, Hey, you want to go down to the field and watch it? You know, no, I'm good. It's a similar thing, mm-hmm. but like they, they played on Hector's not wanting to get his hands onto stuff, kind of like esoteric nature up front. So they, they played with the same thing there, but it, it just played out very differently. So later in the film, when there's a crash and it's the first time he really has to pull out the ring and, and GL it up, um, they go back to the moment, same way they do in this film, mm-hmm. where, but they, in this film, they just keep overusing the same footage. And that, like in the script version of the story, they go back to that scene, but it's him reliving it like he's going down the stairs in slow motion. And there's a moment where he's kind of reliving the the thing. And then they, they do kind of snider it up a little bit. Like he, he starts to leave the tower because he realizes that there's a, the, the, the exercise is going wrong. And, you know, by the way, in this version, the senator is flying rather than just kind of being it, like, it's not the Tim Robinson version at all. Like in this version, Tim Robinson would be in a fucking jet flying it, mm-hmm. showing off a little bit, even though he's an old dog, you know? Yeah. Um, and then Hector is like, tries to literally pull him out of the air with his brain. Like. <laughs> It's a whole scene <clears throat> Interesting. made a lot more sense and kind of developed the, the themes of what they were doing way before some of the rest of it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, there's a, there's 10 minutes of character development of the children. <laughs> <laughs> that was a thing. So what was the first ring construct that he, that he, uh, that was supposed to be like indicative of that 10 minutes? Indicative of the 10 minutes, I don't know. The first ring construct is... You remember when they're at the bar in this movie and him and Carol are having a drink? Mm-hmm. Um, and the mo- and the script's version, the script's version, uh, they don't have a drink at a bar. They actually have dinner. Um, it's part of like a, a flippant, aloof bet that if he wins the dogfight, she has to have dinner. And uh, similar to how the movie timeline goes, because honestly, a lot of the beats are the same, but they just read it how they were doing them. Um, Similarly, they they do go out, but it under the pretense of he makes some flippant bet about like if I if I win this you know dinner date or whatever, and he's back at his. By the time it happens, he's back at his apartment with a Green Lantern 
and the ring trying to figure out how that shit works. Mm-hmm. And then she just shows up um, and he's completely forgotten that was a thing. And then they go out and at some point she like can't, she can't crack her lobster. And it's, it was actually a funny moment. Like she can't crack her lobster and she like looks around for a waiter and says like, can I have a cracker please? And by the time she turns back, it's been cracked. And in the meantime, uh, Hal kind of awkwardly be like, well, I can help, blah, 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 you know, and uh, like out of his... Out of his hand, uh, a hammer appears and just cracks the shit out of the lobster and goes back into his hand. And he's just kind of left going like, the hell was that? And he looks over and there's a kid at like a, another table across across the way a little bit. Mm-hmm. And him and the kid have a moment where it's like, did you see that? And the kid's like, yeah, I just saw that. He's like, oh my God. <laughs> they, they just kind of like forget that happened, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird moment. Um, and then later, like the real construct that he does consciously, like the first construct and really both versions is he does get beat up outside that bar. Okay. Or yeah. that restaurant, depending on which version. So the first construct is really just a giant sucker punch of a big green fist. You know? Which is just unassailably Hal Jordan. Yes. And just the first thing you would think of in certain ways, like especially if you're being assaulted by three guys. And in mm-hmm. the script, it was like five guys. Um, and uh, I think in the script, it calls him, I, I could look it up, but in the script, it calls him like big motherfucking boyfriend or some shit. <laughs> anyway, you remember early in the movie when he wakes up late and he's he's been sleeping with that uh, that woman and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just a throwaway like, oh, he's he's a layabout, you know, he's a bit of a rake. That's that's the whole beat in the movie. Yeah. Um, in the script, he like barely makes it out and is even seen trying to get his flight jacket and stuff by giant motherfucking boyfriend. And uh, uh, that guy finds him later at the bar or at the restaurant while he's eating with Carol and him and his friends take him outside and, and give him what for. So he wasn't the dude who was like, watch your back, Jordan. He nah, was, yeah, that guy never was, existed. Gotcha. Never existed in the original script. I thought he was a little janky. <laughs> he was, like, who is he that? He was a product of rewrites, that one, apparently. Oh, God. And not good ones. Not good rewrites. <laughs> Again, I say all this assuming that I've actually found, or not even found, someone sent me the correct script. And I did look it up. But if, if I'm wrong, please tell me and I'll redo all this. Yeah. Send me the script. If I could find the original file. I literally printed it out and now I cannot find the file even. Oh, Lord. I've got nothing. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of script websites. I'm sure you can find it and I'll bunch it to the same one that i'm reading all right so um let's see what else we got here um you could literally go through the plot of the movie and just ask me is that different or not and i'm kind of curious i mean i'm not sure the movie has a plot like really (laughs) i mean it does it's a hero's journey or there were on a base level how how more how much more extensive were the um were the training sequences on oa non-existent they were just not there non-existent like specifically deliberately part of the plot non-existent because here's one of the things. Um, he gets all the way to Oa, and they kept the thing about like the first time you activate the ring, um, mm-hmm. and it would have been an inconsistency in the original script because the idea is the first time you activate the ring, you get like an automatic recall response to Oa, mm-hmm. which means he would have been ripped from the table after cracking a lobster, but instead he conveniently was outside. Mm-hmm. And you know he has to explain all that to Carol later and everything. But either way, they kept the idea that like there's an automatic recall process, and they kept the idea that. While you're on the way, they kind of implant your brain with some stuff. Mm-hmm. So like the first time Sinestro introduces himself, Hal, you know, says like you're from sector, was it 2814 or some shit? Something um, like that, yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he names all this stuff and he's like, how does my brain know that? They pretty much kept that, you know, pretty much verbatim from what was happening. So you show up there. Here's the thing, though. There's you get Kilowog for like two seconds. 
You get Kilowog basically, they're, they're supposed to be this grand shot of Kilowog training like 20 motherfuckers at a time because he's Kilowog mm -hmm. and he can take them all. You know, he's a beast. So he's supposed to be training all these people at the same time. And like, there's literally a dog pile and he just barrels out of it, you know, and, and comes out swinging. Like it just, it's it, in the script. It just blows Hal's mind. Like he just cannot understand what's happening. Um, he's introduced to Kilowog shortly after that. And he, um, like Kilowog like sniffs him. He's like, you smell funny. And he's like, you look funny. Um, it, it, it just shatters his version of reality, but he deliberately bails on the training in the script. Like he just, he just straight bounces. It just, this isn't for me. I'm sorry. And I'm out and goes all the way back. And there's like an inciting incident where, and it's at the airfield later when Hector's, uh, you know, uh, trying to kill his dad, uh, that, that's the moment where Hal retrieves the ring and decides to become the hero. And that, like, that's supposed to be the first moment you see GL in full form. That's, mm -hmm. that's the hero moment. But in the script, he deliberately bails on the training. And then later, like the moment where later he goes back to the Owens and the film and mm -hmm. says, you know, I need you to help me save my world. Um, like in this film, they say like, we see things in, in, you know, we have the long view and that's why they did not you know, deny him help. Right. Mm -hmm. In the script, it's because you didn't complete your training. It That's really kind of it. And on yeah. top of that, like the crazy part is like he comes back for help. <laughs> he comes back for help to save his world. And they pretty much tell him like, you're not a full GL yet. So we're not coming back to your help to, we're not coming to help you. Um, because even in the script, there's still like a, a, an interplay between Parallax and Hector Hammond, who is also different in the script. It's Legion and Hector Hammond. Um, mm. It's, an entirely different big bad. Yeah, that's that Jeff Johns influence coming in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um <laughs> it and it fits. It does make sense. But Legion at that point is supposedly under wraps. They think they have him and Legion basically attacks Oa and Hal makes a, a like a life-saving play, uh, a life-sacrificing play I should say, and wins their respect and they decide to go back to Earth, which they're mm -hmm. calling Gaia in the script. Because uh, it's the old name that it was known by, and uh, yeah, they, that's what in, uh, like convinces them to go back to Earth and actually help. Is Hal goes to Oa. Oa is attacked, not New York or, or Coast City or whatever the hell we were trying to call that. Um, like <laughs> it's one of the problems I have with the film. They it's it's supposed to be Coast City, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's always supposed to be Coast City. Mm -hmm. That did not look like a Coast City no. to me. That was there were too many high rises. That's not how Southern California built itself. That to me that looks like bullshit. Like there are literally restrictions around building those kinds of buildings in Southern California. You're not allowed to do that. It's by code. Yeah. I grant granted there are places where they call like high rise exceptions and stuff like that. Yeah, but that that looked like New York. Um or some version of it. Like Seattle or some shit. I don't know. Anyway, it's it's a it's a small problem with the film, but yeah, they uh Parallax or Legion wasn't supposed to be there originally. It was supposed to be at Oa. And then he proves himself at Oa, so they all come back to Earth to help with Hector Hammond. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> wow. I think I answered your question in the way. You did. Uh, you know, I'm confused about where the... so it's Yeah. There's just a lot of differences. So as I answer one question, there's a lot of other stuff to Let's see. The um so Kilowog Sinestro and Tomare do come to like, I mean, this person is talking about the, the, the shooting script. So I'm assuming this, what you read, was not the shooting script. Now, this because... was supposed to be the first draft that Berlani turned. Like, this is apparently yeah. what, uh, this was the, if I'm right, this was the first draft that was the screenplay after Berlanti 
and Co. I'm not actually sure who was in that meeting, obviously, but Berlanti sold the script to Warner Brothers, and this is what resulted. I mean, like this was what they were told to go home and write. Yeah, this sounds like this is before the uh, non ampersanded guy. Yeah, yeah, Michael Goldenberg. Yeah, the guy who hadn't worked since. <laughs> not exaggerating that. Look I mean, up we his were, IMDb. I wasn't gonna bring that up, but I mean, yeah. I mean. He worked himself up to being part of the Harry Potter franchise. He has screenplay credits for that. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. I'm going I'm just gonna look. I mean, you know, the the director, the director has barely worked. Like he's done some stuff, but I mean, it's not like most of it has been like very, very poorly reviewed. Um, oh no, the, he's singly credited for uh, credited for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Mm. That was all him. Um, that was his adaptation of that book and dude has not worked since. Yeah. I mean, the, the director is working on several things, but like everything that I've looked up that he's made has been poorly reviewed except for GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty well, much everything else has was been. a bit of a fan favorite at the time. Yeah. I remember that being a, a popular thing at the time. I, I mean... Look, I remember wandering through Video Express and renting that movie and enjoying it later. But, you know, it was 98. I was 14, mm-hmm. 13 or 14, given the timing. Which yeah, I do think is just like a fun action movie that I thought was pretty interesting, I guess. I do think this guy is interesting that this guy has completely revitalized the James Bond franchise, not once, but twice <laughs> and in completely different ways. Yeah. And, and yet he I, turns in this kind of script. Or not, not script. He turns I in this kind of Casino movie. Royale was the last one I saw, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not up to date on the uh, Bond films. I, I think Royale was the last one, and I remember kind of enjoying it. I don't know if he's... I, I, like, I'm no, Casino Royale was good. This guy's bad by any stretch. He's got a hefty IMDb. I mean, shit, it's more than any of us have accomplished. Fuck. But, sure. it, but this was not a well-received product. No, it wasn't. So we have that to consider. <laughs> so what was what exactly was Hammond just he was just straight up normal Hector Hammond from the comics? Well, they there was more to do about the telekinetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, uh, more to do about the telepathic part than the telekinetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hector Hammond's story in the in the script was he's basically a scientist. I'm just going to give you a very brief like paragraph version of this. He's a scientist. He's asked to go uh, autopsy a body. He gets real sideways when he realizes why he's asked because he's uh he he uh, it's his dad's influence that's why mm-hmm. so there's still that going on like he he deeply resents the fact that his dad is still kind of controlling his life and there's a whole thing about uh him being able to hear the thoughts of his dad uh, mm-hmm. as it goes and he is you know physically responsible in this version for killing his dad uh really both versions i guess but um in the one version they're at that same party where they're both chummy uh in this movie but uh-huh. that's a big blowout where hector hammond uh takes over and uh just he fucks the whole thing up so in this version though it's like there's a swat team uh because there's a, a whole like <laughs> underground team that's like there's a whole underground team in, in the original script that just never... Nah, there's no nuance to that. Nothing in, in the film. That got completely cut. That's mm. there to stop him. And uh, instead, he kind of... Eh. Like, every time he hears his dad's thoughts, it's something along the lines of, like, you disappoint me. Um, you know, why have you never done anything with your life? Like, uh, even talking about the current job, he's like, yeah, another job you're going to get fired from and I'm going to have to save you from, that kind of stuff. He's just... he's 
in his thoughts, he's very verbally abusive. And they give him one moment. They give him one little moment where after all is said and done, like he's being telekinetically held in the air and he he realizes whatever the hell Hector has become, he can hear his thoughts now. And he kind of says, like, you could you could read my mind, but you couldn't read my heart. And I love and then he kind of kills it. Um, like he doesn't they they hinted at that moment that he was actually going to tell his son, I loved you. Um, mm-hmm. But. You know, it's, it, the, the film builds it a lot of ways. Like, yeah, maybe you felt that way, but you never fucking said it, you asshole. That kind of thing. Um, yeah. They very much make Hector, like, it, it's a it's a much more built-out character. Like, he's, uh, they, I mean, on top of other things, they uh, they drag him from the lab. And when they find him in the lab, he's, like, sexually, uh, he's being sexually aggressive with, a sub, like, a lab assistant that's just, you, you immediately know he's a creep. Mm-hmm. And then later, um, <laughs> there's a, a, a forget who it was it was a senator somebody um (laughs) that that was cut because andrew kreisberg was like that's hitting a little close to home yeah (laughs) what are we only want to have to get like that uh, into a villain (laughs) so far as we know i don't know about michael green but so far as we know berlanti and guggenheim were uh among the among the good ones Mm -hmm. um but yeah like it 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 was it was very uh sexually aggressive like in a way that was completely unacceptable and the script made it a, it made it very clear mm-hmm. um and then later he's once he figures out he's telekinetic he's he actually tries to like make a play like he has her held against a wall with his powers and you know somebody comes in to stop him and he he sends her out of the room and gives her like a telepathic like hey don't be a tattletale you don't want to you don't want to piss me off kind of thing and she just runs scared like as anyone would mm-hmm. and then he takes that same uh whoever it was it was it wasn't a senator it was like a colonel i forget who i, I forget his exact place or name sorry but he uh he takes that same character and uses him as a guinea pig later like he he literally takes him to like a barn and sees like how far can i lift him can i make him talk um and then like there's a scene where he like lifts an apple into his mouth and throws a knife at him and, and pins the knife in the apple and is like my aim's getting better <laughs> stuff like that and you know later he uh he comes back to the same guy and says hey congratulations you've been um what do you uh, what do you say? You've been uh, promoted from lab rat to accomplice. And later that same guy is is made to shuffle into a bank, not of his own accord, and rob a bank just so the guy can get just so Hector can get enough money mm-hmm. that he looks like a badass. Like he shows up with a hooker on his arm. He he looks like a badass when he shows up to that party that's in the film. Uh, so the beat's still there. But um, the funny part is later Hector's he Hector's the big bad. Yeah. Like they he doesn't just get sucked out of like his his soul of fear doesn't get sucked out by parallax. He's he's the big one. He is the parallax. He kind of is. He is the and one who knocks. They did use the uh, they did use the one. Funnily enough, when he gets burned, he gets burned because uh, in a in a moment of I don't know, just trying to outsmart him, Hal offers him the ring. So mm-hmm. that happens in both versions. And then in this version, Hector's uh, pretty much got carol in a rocket and he's just catapulting her into doom you know mm-hmm. instead of like a needle to the neck and all that um but in this version he's just he's just about to kill her that way and he he kind of pauses and they have a uh you know negotiation and all that um and I, I think it's in that yeah so in that version he uh he he sends her off and they have that same moment of like hal offers him the ring and hector takes it and puts it on and it just fries him I mean, he just fries it like the, he he uses it like once and it, it's over. Yeah, um, it's like when someone tries to break into the Batmobile. Yeah, it's done. Yeah, <laughs> like, that'd be great. I'd love to see that. 
Like, sorry, bro. Unless you're Jason Todd, don't try to break into that shit. Apparently, you don't have the skills. He just stole the hubcaps. He didn't break into it. <laughs> I would like to think that even that was off limits. Um, but yeah, like he uh, he tries to shut it down. Uh, anyway, so that one scene, even where they said like that parallel line of like I lied, and he tries to kill him, and then Hal's like I lied, and blah blah blah, you weren't chosen. They almost verbatim kept that from the original script. Well, that's nice. But it was an entirely different context. So in this context, or in the movie's context, uh, Hector uh, Parallax shows up, you know, Big Bad shows up, and all that, and and that's over. In this context, Hector's kind of the big bad, and that's that's really about the end of it. Mm-hmm. So did your version of the script contain any cameos by Alan Scott? Huge. Yeah. Huge. Apparently there was there was a version of this where he was like the president of the United States. And, I don't know about president. Well, I don't know. The, the, the trivia says that uh, he was the United States president. And near the end, he, was, he revealed his own past as Green Lantern to Jordan and gave him his blessing. Then he was later revised to become an agent of the Checkmate Agency uh, who approached... Uh, Jordan for membership and then later drafts just wrote him out of the film altogether and replaced him with Amanda Waller. But they does say that they, that he was going to be played by Pierce Brosnan, which I would, yes, please. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, makes a lot of sense given the Campbell connection. What was, uh, what was your, so in this script, um, he is referred to as pipe pipe, literally pipe. That is the name on the character sheet pipe. All right. So <laughs> early on, he seems ominous. And uh, like one of the first times you see him, he's seeing Abinsur's corpse and he he seems regretful about it. And then uh, pretty much he, like you remember when I said there was a, like an agency that was there to stop Hector, mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, he's in charge of that. He's literally at the scene at that party where Hector kills his father. And Hector kills his father, by the way, by direct redirecting a lot of bullets that were fired at him by a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like you you read the version with Checkmate. Mm-mm. Checkmate was never quite involved. Never by name. Definitely could have been Checkmate, but I never saw the word Checkmate in the script. Hmm. Okay. I don't think. I could be wrong. Kind of want to flip through it now, <laughs> but I don't think I ever actually saw that. Um. God, I, I, I would think I wouldn't register that if I'd seen it. But anyway, so either way, it was a dubious organization. Um. I mean, so two competing, two competing theories now. Either one, I missed it, or two, it's just not named that yet, and someone thought it was a really good idea later, and it fit. Mm-hmm. But he's named Pipe for forever in the script. And then later he is, uh, he reveals himself to Hal and kind of says like, if I had your powers and all that stuff. Um, And it's very clear that he at one point had his powers. And he's actually the one, after everything happens uh, during the course of the events, it's, it's made very public, like more public than they were in the movie. Like there's a whole kind of middle bit, like, you know, in the... In the course of a normal CBM where like a character gets his powers and just goes crazy with them for a second, mm-hmm. uh, it's very much that like he just uh, he has a he has a down moment where he just doesn't think the ring chose the right person. And then that like the kind of next scene is just uh, him watching television and just seeing all this terrible you know, starvation and riots and murders and blah, 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 and just everything, um, just stuff that he could stop. Mm-hmm. And he has a moment where he apparently just puts on the ring and just goes like, okay, I'm going to go full superhero this shit. And then they have a whole montage where, and it's kind of cute, like Carol's 
you know, in her office, supposedly working, but apparently she's watching the television, just kind of rooting him on. Like every time he, you know, stops a, a robbery somewhere or whatever the fuck, I forget the examples, but it was just all like basic superhero kind of stuff. He stopped this, he stopped this, he stopped this. And then the news saying like, we, what are we going to do with this new hero? He's amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then the other part of the news saying, well, can we trust this person? Someone with this much power can't be trusted. And this is blah, blah, blah. And they, they do a whole thing about that. Mm-hmm. But after all that, it comes down to basically Alan Scott telling Hal Jordan, uh, and it kind of shakes him a little bit. Like at the end of the script, um, it, when Alan Scott and Green Lantern are walking together, he kind of says, like, if I had your powers, what I would do is I'd travel the universe because there's plenty of places to see and there's so, so many more people I could help and stuff like that. And then he kind of puts his hand on his shoulder and says, like, Jordan, travel the stars. And mm-hmm. it, it shakes him a little bit that he knows his name, but he does. He knows his name. And he's like, well, what do I do if you need help here? And he's just like, I'll tell you the same way I told your predecessor. And that's the last, really kind of the last thing they say to each other. Interesting. Whoa. Interesting. Are you okay? <laughs> And now I have to keep it. I have to keep it all now. <sighs> I'll give you the last line real quick. It's in the last, like, two pages. So he's not Alan Scott. He's just a dude who knew Alan Scott. Well, here. I'll, I'll give you the last couple pages. Um, Green Lantern, sensing about the ring. You've worn it, haven't you? A long silence, then through the haze of smoke memory. One like it a lifetime ago, a sad smile. But it wasn't meant. Mm. It wasn't mine to keep. I wasn't chosen, not like you. Which kind of makes sense, given Alan Scott's story. Um, and then, funnily enough, there's a, a midline where the, it says, A story for another day slash movie. The Graph Returns. And there's, I forget where it was. There's another line somewhere in this movie, or in this script, where it says, like, I don't know, maybe another, maybe a prequel. Like it, There were clearly plans. Um, mm-hmm. Green Lantern. What if there's more trouble, Alan Scott? I'll contact you the same way I used to contact your predecessor on occasion. A knowing wink. Man, this guy's cool as shit. Green Lantern. And Hammond? Alan Scott. Hammond? I wouldn't worry about him. Pipe keys, a pad to take him where they were headed. Interior security facility continuous on a catwalk. Overlooking the centerpiece of the facility, a stadium-sized concrete-lined lab filled with row after row of rats and mice in cages. As we saw before, experiments at the far end in a sealed cell. Hector Hammond sits. Huge cranium burned and shriveled body. Utterly grotesque. No sign of life behind his eyes. Just another rat. He doesn't do much more. Alan Scott. He doesn't do much anymore. Back with GL and Pipe. Still referring to him as Pipe. Pipe offers GL his hand and his advice. The stars are waiting, Jordan. Don't screw it up. GL reacts. Scott knows his identity. Tom. Uh, and it goes back to... <laughs> Tom, prelapse. Goes into another scene. Um, here's the fun part. In this version of the movie, they kept the ship at the Ferris uh, airbase. Wait, what's well, weird? Yeah, they literally, like... At first, they dragged it to Tom's mom's house. And then they dragged it to the Ferris airbase. And in this version, uh, like Tom's hugely relevant, but he also, uh, at the end of this, he, he gets a, he gets a flying ship, like a, a fixed flying ship. Mm-hmm. What does he say? Uh, um, <clears throat> in uniform stands with Carol and Tom. This is goodbye. Floating a few thousand feet. Arch <laughs> Sinestro, Tom Array, and other lanterns. Tom stares a little too much. You get to, you get to, you get to go off with them and I'm stuck here. I can't even play games with aliens now. It just seems like a ripoff. Green Lantern. I got a surprise for you. GL fires his ring into Hangar 18, a rumble, and a Bobbin's ship rises out. The ship hovers on its own, fixed. The single greatest thing that ever happened to Tom. Tom, it's flying. I have a ship that flies. Oh my God, I can visit you. Tom hugs GL hard enough to hurt, then makes way for her. And then Carol and uh, Hal have, have a minute together. Mm-hmm. But after being like... The best buddy who kept all the secrets and did all the things and was a fantastic sidekick. He gets a fucking flying spaceship. As opposed to just being forgotten about in the third act. In the third act, yeah. And never seen again, yeah. Correct. 
Of course, that 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 which third is why act up front of this particular episode, I mentioned that I would like to see more out of Tom. Well, I mean that just the the that scene that you described reminds me of one of the old comics where you know Grant, uh, Hal decides that he's got to like go wander the stars and leaves <clears throat> Pie Face <laughs> weeping uncontrollably outside of the hangar. That is a oh, that is a rough thing. <sighs> That is a rough thing. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, so Martin Campbell the has said this. The history of stuff that's 80 years old is not always convenient or great. Mm-mm. Sorry, everyone. Sometimes it sucks. We have to incorporate that too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Martin Campbell has said that the studio uh, pretty much hacked the film to pieces. Um, he said there were, there were omissions and alterations of numerous elements, which would have made for a stronger film. Weirdly enough, Zack Snyder was approached to to, to the movie and he turned it down because he was doing Watchmen. Ah, Which was fantastic. So I'm glad that worked out that way. Yeah. Dude, Eddie Murphy was considered to play Jon Stewart. And then they cut the character from the film. I know Murphy. From the script. The only only problem I have is like, I know Murphy's background is a comic. Mm Mm-hmm. So I like, that's what people lean on. I've seen him do against type roles and he can do it. Yeah, sure. But that's not how they would have used that. They would have just made him a throwaway, like... Joke machine, yeah. Yeah, it would have just been the dragon from Milan. Mm-hmm. Now, this is interesting. Martin Campbell says the visual influences in Parallax's design were the 9-11 terrorist attacks. He says the images of those massive dust clouds coming down the streets from the collapsing World Trade Center are directly associated with terror. And Indian festival pictures. Fantastic, fantastic pictures of this writhing mass of living beings. I, I mean... It, it does remind me of that now that he's said it, but mm-hmm. eh, it wasn't the worst part of this by any stretch. No, Parallax had kind of a cool design. Yeah. It, and he was, well, we, everybody has they like, actually looked pretty good, even for the CGI, like him just destroying the city and the souls being sucked out and all that. Yeah. That's not one of my problems here. I mean, we've, we've joked about it. Other people said like, Oh, you can't have a, a bad guy as a cloud or a cloud as a bad guy. That eh, wasn't the real problem. It really wasn't. No. I mean, there were plenty of problems. Parallax is an entity. Like, it's it's fine. He doesn't have to have a shape. I can deal with that. <laughs> right. Now, it says, in October 2007, Greg Berlandi signed to direct the film and co-write it with comic book writers Michael Green and Mark Guggenheim. A draft of the trio's 2008 script leaked on the internet, so that may have been what you read, revealed a story that included a hero's origin and included Clark Kent and Green Lantern's Alan Scott and Guy Gardner in a cameo appearance and appeared to set up Hector Hammond as Hal Jordan's first major nemesis. Did you see a Clark Kent or Guy Gardner anywhere? Okay, I did not remember the Guy Gardner. Uh, any, I, I don't remember seeing that exactly. Mm-hmm. It may be in here, but I, I didn't catch it. What I did see was literally when the ring is searching for the right host, like it... it glances at a reporter for the daily planet that's cute that would have been cool that would have been a nice nod right mm-hmm. just even even an id badge with no face would have still been a nice nod now what would have been funny is if the ring like flew through an open window of the daily planet went over to the clark kent looked to clark kent's desk and like flew sort of swirled and hovered around a uh, a tie laying on the desk next to the glasses the open window meaning that he had become superman and flown off <laughs> to do a thing and the ring was just like eh whatever <laughs> eh. Find somebody else. <laughs> this guy's got other stuff going on <laughs> that's not what i'm looking for um which does kind of make sense it, how often do you hear about a green lantern that's not like terrestrial for their particular planet mm-hmm. 
Like even uh, uh, what's his name, Moog, Mogu. Oh yeah, Mogu, Mogu, yeah, Mogu. Um, literally terrestrial for his planet. Mm-hmm. Um, his or her, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like the, it's never some super powered person given this on top of it. It's always like, yeah, you're a normal person. It yeah. wouldn't make sense to give it to Clark Kent. I could see the ring just moving on. Oh, there's other stuff going on here. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. I want someone who can stand up to the face of death knowing that they are completely mortal. Yeah. So Berlani, it says here Berlani stepped down, obviously, and uh, handed the reins of directing over to, uh, to to Martin because Berlani wanted to do This Is Where I Leave You. Mm-hmm. But um, Berlani's producing partner, Andrew Kreisberg, confirmed that the studio slashed Berlani's original script. So Kreisberg was involved in some capacity, hmm. just so you know. By the way, I, I noticed when we were... I believe it from interviews, but it's not listed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not the full story. I am... I am... I, I have been, I think, now thrice uh, surprised. I keep forgetting this fact, that Stuart Bayard is the person who edited this movie. Mm-hmm. He worked on Superman, 1978. He worked on Superman 2. He worked on some Zorro films. But look, this is the guy that directed Star Trek Nemesis, and I... Not fully, but almost fully blame him for that movie. So <laughs> he does not have a good sense of of continuity when he's editing, man. He doesn't have like a good sense of focus about like finishing storylines oh, and wrapping up art. Richard Donner cut, apparently. Ew. Honestly, it's it's a it's a bit hard. It's a bit of a hard stop. Like this this guy, you know, the omen. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Superman one, mm-hmm. uh, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon two, Die Hard two. I'm just going up the IMDb list here, and lots of really good credits, even into like I guess Demolition Man, Zorro. But you can see, let's do if you're graphing it: 81, 82, 83, 85, 85, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 91, 92, 92, 93, 94, 96. <gasps> 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. 2006, 2008, 2010, 2011, 12, 13, 17, 18. Yeah, there's there's huge gaps there. Yeah. Man's been working for a while. It, but he also has been working on products that are possibly just... Trouble to begin with. Well, but, maybe just a different era. Well, yes, but, you know, he also, like, I feel like when he doesn't have a strong director in charge of him mm-hmm. who has, like non-studio interfered vision mm-hmm. i think he does a poor job i thought casino royale is a good i think casino royale is a good movie so and he edited that movie i enjoyed I, that movie i have not seen skyfall i don't know um but he was the <laughs> so director <laughs> he was the director on nemesis and every problem that we're seeing in green lantern was present in nemesis mm. where it was like and part of the problem is Stuart baird has no interest in science fiction as he is as he has said so i kind of feel like if his, I feel like if he doesn't have an interest in it, it's not gonna go so go over so well. And I don't count Superman or Superman two in, in, in with that because no, Dick Donner is gonna say no, you're gonna do this. Sure. <laughs> Dick Donner is a very specific kind of guy. One episode of Tells Him the Crypt for no good reason, I guess. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, just looking at his IMDb, I just realized there's a film called Litzomania, uh, where Ringo Starr was playing the Pope. Mm-hmm. Roger Daltrey playing Frank Litz, uh, Paul Nicholas playing uh, Richard Wagner. I'm just supposing this is a film. Uh, composer and pianist blah, 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 attempts to overcome his hedonistic lifestyle where pivoting brain drawn back into the mainland. Okay, so it looks like just a hedonistic composer film. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I know is that uh, 
I'd never seen the word Litzomania. I'm learning something right now. That was a great album by the band Phoenix. Just saying, if you haven't listened to it, just just give that give that shit a shot. It was fantastic. Okay. Just clicking around, realized I hadn't seen that word in any other context, and thought I'd mention it. Fair enough. Well, that's all I've got. Oh, all right. I have a couple things. Sure. <clears throat> Bear with me. I'm Baron. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Always bearing with you, man. <laughs> click off if you if you feel. But um. You click off, asshole. <clears throat> Um, <laughs> so there's a couple <laughs> moments from the script that I thought were just stand out. And there, there's really just a couple pages, it, honestly, like page 43 and 44, uh, 44 were just, uh, moments that I didn't feel like were reflected the same or at all mm-hmm. that were standout. So I'm going to give you a couple things. Um, uh, one, it's after it, it's after the scene I told you about where like Kilowog was just fighting everyone and they're training and mm-hmm. it's training that in this script, how we'll just miss out on. Um, and it's uh, after that exterior central battery. Oh, a moment later, high atop an opaline plinth stands the central battery from our opening. Majestic, enormous, crackling with energy. Sinestro, voiceover. It fuels every lantern, which in turn fuels every ring. Lanterns fly around and up to it, charging the rings with the formality of the righteous on pilgrimage to holy ground. Find Hal and Sinestro below, minute, uh, minute in comparison. Hal, so this is what makes all that green. Sinestro, green. The light you see is only a manifest- manifestation of what your mind cannot comprehend so much better as a concept than hmm. what we saw in the movie. The idea that just the the willpower part, just your earth brain just sees the green there. Like the idea that it's just a perceptual thing is, mm-hmm. I, I thought, a huge improvement. That is something they should have kept. That's um, interesting. Uh, how you lost me at manifestation. Sinestro, all life is connected by love, by hope, by all the noblest instincts of the soul. This is the center of that connection. The power drawn from that connection is what you see simply as green. Gestures to the battery. All that power, collected, channeled, here delivered, trusted to us. We can tell how it's daunted by the grandeur of it all. Sinestro, come, let us pay our respects. Sinestro motions toward a motion, uh, a waiting line of lanterns. All manner of creatures assembled before a magenta-skinned woman, Alvin's widow, Liana. Regal in her sadness. She seems then, uh, she sees them approach. Breaking ceremony, she goes straight to Hal. By the way, the line of people just uh, religiously going up. What is the name? Is it Emerald Knights? The movie? Mm. Is that is that what it reminded me of? It's one of the Maybe. animated movies. Uh, but I remember one of the anime movies had like this line of people just like walking up, uh, kind of like Catholic style, I guess. Um, Liana, Abensor's uh, widow, you bear my husband's ring. Hal doesn't know how to answer. Liana continued, you saw him. You were with Abensor when he died. Hal, yes. Liana, a thousand years together and a thousand more taken from us. Hal can see the pain of the loss. He knows it too well. Hal, he told me to tell you he loved you with his last breath. These words give her more comfort than the hundreds of well-wishers. She restrains a wellspring of emotion. Liana, you wear the ring of a fine soldier. There are many who will miss him, even more who owe him thanks. Do it justice. Exterior, central battery moments later. As Hal and Sinestro re-enter, Hal studies the battery closer now. A mixture of emotions cascading over him. Sinestro, and this is my favorite line maybe in the entire script. You lied to her and think it kind. You are human. Fucking love that line. That's a good line. Nothing in here. Nothing in here touches that line. Ugh, that was, uh, that that moment tore me. Like, I cried reading that. <laughs> That's a good line. Damn. Well, I can't think uh, of anything to, to top that, so you want to close it? I only have one more thing. I promise it's one more and very quick. Mm-hmm. And I say it to any budding filmmakers, especially of any kind of sci-fi. If you are tempted for a second to make The Sun your final act, don't. (laughs) Just fucking don't. Not a fission sun. Not the actual sun. The sun.
in general. If if your idea is to do this, I promise you, you're not going to. It's not going to be astronomically founded. The astrophysics of it will be uh, uh, fucking nonsense. It will be silly. Don't do it. Just don't. The way they kill Legion in this movie is Legion attacks the Owen base in the script. Mm-hmm. And Legion attacks the Owen base and kills so many people that basically Hal puts on uh, 10 fucking rings. He goes Ringo on it and chases him, like leads him to the battery, much as he led him to the sun in, in the movie mm-hmm. and uh, channels the power of the battery itself into Legion and kills him. Well, see, that's dope. And it here's the fun part. Here's, that here's, totally sets up like later parallax shit with like Hal wearing all the rings. It's one of the problems with par- parallax in general is like if you kill parallax by running him into the sun in the first movie, we we a don't have a chance to see Hal Jordan parallax, parallax, and we definitely don't have a chance to see Kyle Rayner parallax. We like we there's there's no like parallax is a loaded term in Green Lantern mythology. There's mm-hmm. so much you can do. Why throw him into the sun in the first fucking movie? Yeah. But in this mer- in this version, it's Legion, and and he attacks Oa. Oa thinks they have him in control. They don't. He kills everything, or he kills a lot of things. Uh, Legion kills like you know like a hundred lanterns in the course of this movie mm-hmm. in, in the script and uh and he should that's that's the amount of uh, severity that he should have that's that's great but how effectively tricks him into following him to the battery and just channels all of that through him and, and, and like a sacrifice play does like one good clap and and you know kind of blast kind of thing and uh and it works legion dies and he, he hal doesn't die and uh, I wish I had time to find it in the in the script. Um, there's the mention of the word fan orgasm or something along the lines. Mm-hmm. Like when they find Hal, who like falls an awkward distance to the ground, like you think he's dead in the script, and he kind of gets up and says like, "Oh, that was easy, I guess." You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, being Hal, being smartass. Like, here's the crazy part: I don't know who they wanted to do this film, but this script in 2008 was written for fucking Ryan Reynolds, as best I can tell. Oh yeah, Dope I mean, that. yeah, absolutely. God. Um, I mean, I could just read you quotes from it, but it's definitely like via Ryan Reynolds, but he gets up and after the blast, after like focusing all of the, the, you know, the actual batteries energy through like 10 rings, he gets up and his sideburns are gray. Oh, (laughs) it it says something in the script, but like, and the fans orgasm as, as they realize that his sideburns are gray. But then in the script, Abin Sura says like, Hal came to us asking for help and instead he saved us and we will honor that sacrifice and we will go to his planet and we will save his planet and his people. And they do and they go and they stop Hector. Yeah, that's great. Hector who has a version of Legion in him and they effectively eradicate Legion instead of Parallax. Mm -hmm. Anyway, my plea, my plea to anyone, do not use the sun. Just don't. You think you know how it works? You don't. You think you can portray it on television or movies or whatever budget you think you have. This was a $300 million movie. It didn't work. Sam Raimi's uh, Spider-Man 2 was, what, 350 I think, maybe? Mm-hmm. Didn't. It didn't. It it balked on the whole thing. It is a terrible idea. Never do it. Never, ever do it. Find another mechanism. There are better ways to do it. For instance, a Green Lantern battery. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. By the way, if your main villain, or one of your main villains, mm-hmm. uh was literally empowered by the same meteorite that gave Gorilla Grodd his powers. <laughs> and you're looking to set up a cinematic universe. Uh-huh. <laughs> just say, for instance, just just go ahead and make, make Gorilla Grodd be in that either the military installation or just set him up. 
just throw that shit in there somewhere. It doesn't didn't have to be what Legion. Else? Infecting dude. It could have just been freaking uh, the same meteor. Yeah, I agree. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> it's, it's a decent rule. I do. It's it's something I realized after watching this. Don't use the sign. I don't care how much sense you think it makes. Don't use it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, I I basically I when I was about fourteen or fifteen, I started plotting out a novel series, and like the climax of that first novel involved blowing up the sun, and I I could not get past it. I kept just going. This sound. This is stupid. <laughs> this is just stupid. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, it sounds cool, but then you you stupid. <laughs> to me, some notable notable exceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man is still drawing on that moment where he looks at the sun. Great. Mm-hmm. I fucking cry every time I watch that scene. That flight scene just breaks me down mm-hmm. every fucking time, and I regret nothing. Well, that's fine if you're using the sun as inspiration. Yeah. But you know what? Star Trek 2009, when they blew up a sun or tried to stop a sun from going supernova for no damn reason, and it was apparently going to threaten all life in the universe. That's not how that shit works. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to put red matter into the center of it so that it... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> that shit's dumb. Okay, can I give you... Uh... Can I give you a bit of a spoiler for Deceased, the the comic run? Absolutely. I'm never going to get to that. Um, and it's becoming, like, Tom Taylor killed it on that. He, he's he's a great writer uh, mm-hmm. in general. But, man, I've he, heard. He, really, he really hit the spot on this thing. Um, and one of the things is, eventually, it, it's basically a zombie story. But the, the mechanism for the zombies is the anti-life equation. Basically, mm-hmm. Darkseid fucks up tries to hijack Black Razor, does it poorly, involves death in the anti-life equation, and the universe is doomed. Um, and then the way it gets back to Earth is because he was currently torturing Cyborg at the time. So, um, Apocalypse itself lasts, I don't know, three minutes after this event, after the actual uh, moment. Mm-hmm. And Earth lasts, I don't know, a couple days longer, maybe, depending. Um, I haven't gotten to finish all of the Unkillables because... Uh, publishing stopped for a second and i have some back issues like i have two back issues and i, I haven't had time to finish them and it, it's things have gotten weird as far as getting comics but what i do know one of the fun parts is eventually superman of all people finally gets infected and the only reason he gets infected is because flash gets infected and who can you actually stop him with superman so knowing that flash is a zombie superman just runs the other way around the earth and tries to just basically pummel him and he does mm-hmm. but like one of flash's ribs gets dislodged into superman's abdomen and right. guess what zombie zombie soups yeah and he lasts a few minutes and there's a really really touching cu- couple of conversations with him and lois and john and it's it's actually very tear jerking like you should just genuinely read the issues it's i think they're on dc universe I think I, I think they're on DC Universe now. Um, I think it's been over a year. Um, anyway, they were fantastic. They were fantastic moments. And I think anyone should read this if, if you're at all compelled by what I'm saying. But what ends up happening is Superman tries to kill everything because, you know, anti-life. Kill, right? Mm-hmm. And what he eventually decides to do after he is outmanned by, you know, half of the entire Green Lantern Corps. Because eventually they show up because the Owens realize, oh, some stuff getting fucked up over there. And then they try to get over there and stop it. And they do a pretty good job for a second. And they actually manage to contain Superman. Until he realizes, wait a second, I'm just trying to cause death. So he just flies into the sun. 
Like, no no point to it. No end game. He just flies into the sun to supernova that motherfucker. That's it. He's just trying to kill as many people as possible. Like, his entire objective at that point becomes to kill. So, what are you going to do? And as a result of it, as they realize what's happening, uh, they basically just get into a ship and jump into another dimension. Because that's all they've got. And it's, yeah. um, there's apparently going to be a season two of Deceased, but it's basically just going to be, uh, you know, whoever was still on that ship and whatever happened. And... Some of that's been released on digital, and I haven't gotten around to that yet because, yeah, it's a long story. But Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a way to use the sun. Just fly <laughs> Superman into it and kill everything in the fucking universe. Mm-hmm. But unless that's part of your plan, don't use the sun. Not in a regular movie. All right, I'm calling it. Let's call it. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> you can find every episode at DCOnScreen.com. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about some some news, I imagine. <laughs> we almost did this week, but... uh Woo theatered stuff is happening stuff is coming out so um you know that looks like that um you know that episode we did that was uh, called why it's okay to like Zack snyder and jeff johns that shit didn't mm-hmm. age well <laughs> i forgot about that but yes <laughs> like i'm wait look part of our brand is honest takes mm-hmm. that means we're wrong sometimes absolutely and you know i, I for the last yeah, 10, 15 years. I've really enjoyed Joss Whedon properties. Lots of beer, lots of bad things are being said about that guy right now. And uh, yeah. let's just say that, uh, look, I have a, uh, in my living room, I have Firefly action figures surrounding an autograph of Joss Whedon. And I feel I like. a Firefly challenge coin. I feel like if anyone ever asks me mm-hmm. why I still have that shit in my house, it's going to be like the scene from Star Trek six where Kim Cattrall asks Spock why he keeps the, the expulsion from paradise painting in his, in his quarters. And he says, it is a reminder to me that all things end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, if, if the last several months have taught me anything, it's that you're going to have to admit when you're wrong and you have to admit when your heroes fall. Like you can't, you, you can't just prop yourself up on any property or person. Mm -hmm. If, if, if something's wrong and someone calls it out and it's it's right, yeah, that's that's your new reality. Yeah, take from it what you will. Enjoy what was there if if uh, if you still can, or if it's still relevant, or if it's not like in hindsight terrible, which is sometimes the case, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, man, I, like shit'll change. We, we have two choices: we can burrow in and not admit that there's change happening, or we can roll with it and just try to be better. That's all we've got. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Uh, until next time, keep some DC on your screen. Our intro music is by Jason Goss and Michael Shackelford. Michael's band, Galactic Engineers of Magnetic Sounds, or GEMS, can be found on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Visit DCOnScreen.com to find our Patreon, merch, contact information, and every episode of the show for free, including crossovers we've done with other podcasts. DC Onscreen is a maladjusted production. For more from me and Jason, including sketch comedy, vlogs, parodies, and our improvised web series Hey Guy, visit maladjusted.dv.